Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline, and I'm on the marketing team. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Liz. I head up the Ballard creative team. We're your host. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now on with the show. Hey, so we are excited to chat with our guest today. Her name is Brantley Snipes. She is a Mississippi-based landscape architect, the owner, lead designer, and product project manager for her company, Brantley Snipes Landscape Design. When Brantley's not working with clients, she works on preservation projects for Main Street Greenwood, Inc., where she serves as executive director. She's been named the Greenwood Commonwealth's Top 30 Under 40 and is an active member of the Mississippi Association of Landscape Architects, the Greenwood Rotary Club, and the Greenwood Garden Club. Today, we're going to chat with Brantley about the importance of landscape design and creating outdoor rooms since it's spring, and I know this is at the top of everyone's to-do list right now. So, Brantley, thank you so much and welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you all so much for having me. I'm excited to talk landscapes today. Yes, we have many questions for you. Okay, I, great. I felt like every every topic I kept thinking like, oh, wait, I need to ask this too. And yes, just just make a list and we will we will tackle them. There are no, everybody's like, this is always a dumb question. I was like, there are no dumb questions. Like, this is part of it. There's This is just a field that a lot of people don't know a lot of things about. So that's why I stay busy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I, th- I think to me and Liz, maybe you have a different opinion, but I feel like outdoors seems so much more complicated to me than indoors because inside it's an inexact science, correct? Like you can kind of do anything. There aren't any rules. Whereas outside is actual science. You know, you have things, many sort of conditions that you can't necessarily control. And right. unless you really know a lot about plants, then you feel a little bit out of your element because, you know, <laughs> That's so funny that you said it because I see it the exact opposite. I tried to redo my house during COVID when we were all redoing our house. And like I had to pick out a floor for my kitchen and it it froze me. I had no, I I just was like, there are too many (laughs) options. Like in the landscape, you do sun, shade, wet, dry, tall, short, blooming or not blooming. And you kind of, you can create kind of this little matrix and get it done quickly. But having to pick out a kitchen floor, I was like, oh my God, I have no idea. Like, where do you start? And then how do you pick out a rug? Do y'all know how many rugs are out there? Like there's certain (laughs) plant palettes that we have to work with. And then inside it's just wide open. So I have this like fascination and awe with interior designers working with clients because I'm like, oh my gosh, like how do y'all, where do you start? And what you like versus what they might not like. And so I can at least use science to back up my decisions and like convince clients of this is the direction we need to go that's so funny that you see it that way because I am the exact opposite after trying to do an interior project, <laughs> one, one interior project. <laughs> well, then I guess that's why we both have our own expertise. So true, true. we'll that's share great. with you if you yes. share with us. Perfect. That sounds like a plan. But I also feel like there's this other element with a garden that's time. So you can plant things and like, it's not going to look as great as you want it to for another few years whereas you know you can throw it throw pillows on the sofa and boom you're done that's decorated so instant gratification (laughs) yeah yeah but yeah you know that's a huge that's a huge 
I don't say, I mean, it's not necessarily a problem, but it's a hurdle I face because a lot of our designs will finish and they're like, what did we pay for? This is not what we did. And I'm like, well, trust me in three years, it will be full and it will be ready to go. And you just kind of have to cultivate it over time. And that is time is an element that you have to bring in with design in terms of the landscape side of things. Because if you go in and just over plan everything, you will have a world of issues within the few years as it grows. And so we really make sure that when we design and plant and spec spaces, that we draw them at full scale, but then we give them time to grow and evolve. And it, it's a struggle for Kendall, our mutual friend, to get photos. She's like, I need photos. And I'm like, I need time to get great photos for the plants to grow and fill in. And yeah, that's just an added element is this, the time component that comes with landscapes and it keeps it, it keeps us, it, it's, it's tricky, but I think the longer I've done it, the more I've kind of realized of how to explain to people, you know, and people will come back, you know, I had a client come back this summer and all of her hydrangeas had filled in and she was like, you know what, you were right. And I was like, thanks. That's, that's what we paid for was to have a right opinion on something. So yeah. And I feel like that's so frustrating too, because not just for you, but for yeah your clients and just for myself, I know like I, things that I planned and I'm like, okay, well, right. I guess, I guess I'll like it by the time I'm ready to move out of this house. <laughs> <Right>. but... <laughs> yep. Very but, good point. Yeah. There's so many places to start, but okay. one thing that I did have in particular that I wanted to discuss with you because we actually got some feedback on a listener. We had talked briefly in a previous episode about native plants and they had a lot of questions about that. So I kind of felt like maybe we could kick off there. Sure. Why one would use native plants in their yard and sort of if someone's starting their first landscaping project or their garden, do you think that people need to incorporate native plants into their plan and how do they go about doing that? So excellent point. I just was working on a plan this morning before we got on the podcast with a client that wanted to incorporate more natives. And I look at this from kind of the the other direction of we need to quit using invasive plant material. So for instance, you know, well, I'll get into the native question, but the first thing is we need to quit with invasive. So things such as Bradford pear, English ivy, privet, Chinese privet, you know, starting in May, we'll look and, you know, right now our Bradford pears are blooming and they've taken over our native landscapes and they kind of monopolize these local ecologies that we have and that have been established. And we come in and we introduce these invasive materials and they just take over, which is detrimental. Again, with landscape, there's multifaceted, but it decreases habitat for wildlife. It messes with stormwater and water regulation, food for wildlife. It's it's mainly on that. But that's my main thing is really making sure that we stay away from those type plants. And I will have clients that will ask if we can do something and I'll say no, or worse than an invasive plant material would be a plant material that requires a lot of pesticide and fertilizer and things like that. So there's other things to do. I don't always recommend a full native landscape for clients because a lot of times the end result is 
it's messy and wild. And that's not a good look for a lot of people. And so I, I did some kind of in-depth research with my thesis would be, how do you balance that out just with anything in life? Like you just need to have a balance. And as long as you're staying away from the plant materials that require additional pesticide and additional water and away from those that are going to go colonize the woodlands behind your house. You can mix in natives that have the added benefit of wildlife and ecological restoration, but you don't have, it's not an all or none thing. I definitely recommend putting some in, but I don't think your whole landscape has to be native. And that's probably a differing opinion than a lot of people, but there are great plants that are out there that have added benefits that might not check the native box, but still be an excellent option for a landscape. So, Would you say natives in general are easier to care for because they grow in the wild? No, nope. I have seen this that, you know, you think an all native landscape is going to be easy and it's just, you're going to plant it. You can walk away from it. And my bottom line, they're probably going to put this on my tombstone, is the right plant in the right place. And so you can have an all native plant palette that requires sun and your whole backyard is shade. And guess what? Mm. That plant's not going to grow. So that's the, the science behind it is really making sure that you've got the right plant in the exact right place. And, you know, if you've got a wet spot in your yard and you're trying to get a native oak leaf hydrangea to grow, guess what? It's not going to grow regardless of the fact that it's native you know in the same county that you're from so they're great the native plants they're they're awesome they're incredibly hard to find as well there are more pushes on native nurseries i'm working on a project right now to kind of start establishing some that are cultivated into a larger size that you know a lot of times you grow and you find them in little one gallon pots and you just it doesn't you don't achieve the effect that you want with the landscape but again right plant right place and just balancing out all right where can i incorporate some natives what am i really trying to achieve with my landscape if it's i want to monarch butterflies every spring well then let's put some in but your whole backyard doesn't have to be milkweed uh-huh. it's 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 all about kind of working it out that way well where would one even go to learn about what's native to their area and what's available. Right. A lot of times garden centers and stuff, I recommend going and talk to your local garden centers, Mm -hmm. but natives kind of get a little tricky. There's a lot of great resources with the USDA website. I know I can't think of it right now. I have an arborist friend that gave me a website and you can go type in the plant name and find out if it's native to your area. So, you know, obviously a place like Home Depot or like a, a chain probably would not mm-hmm. have the expertise to tell you what's native but do you think a Correct. you know a local like small kind of small business owner um, sure. nursery like do you think they would center. yeah i think yeah. that would be that would be the first place to start is just see what they recommend those are going to have your most knowledgeable group and most of the time you're going to have someone that's a horticulturist that's there yeah you know the the big boxes kind of just get mass shipped Right. plant material and I wouldn't I wouldn't start there. I'd always I'd always start local and go up. Your local garden clubs would be good resources. Oh, okay. There's a yeah. group of master gardeners that that's another option. You could kind of visit with those and you know, really just talk to people who have 
great landscapes in your neighborhood. See what they're growing and kind of talk to them about it. Word of mouth. You know, I'm sure there's some great publications and stuff out there as well. So if you're near like a university, the extension services with the university would be another good option as well. Oh, that's a great idea. No, that's a great idea. Well, let's just then change gears a little bit and just get into sort of the basics of landscape design. You know, if I'm kind of trying to plan my first project, where do I start? And and maybe you can speak to um, sort of the difference between someone that maybe wants a garden and someone who just wants a nice looking yard. Sure. That's a great point. What I like to start with, if say you're my client and we go, all right, what a lot of people don't realize that it's not landscape architect is more of creating outdoor spaces and tying your house into the existing landscape. And so whether that's out in the country or in a neighborhood and a lot of times we need to look at driveways, patios, porches. That's a huge component of landscape architecture, as well as the beds and the plant material and really kind of tying it all together. Hardscapes. Yeah, the hardscapes. The landscape is the first thing that you see when you pull into a house and the last thing that you leave. And so it's kind of funny to me that we're kind of the last things thought about, (laughs) you know, in terms of like getting it designed and planned and because... Like I said earlier, the interior kind of seems to be the easy, low-hanging fruit. You can get in there and get going. But I like to start with, all right, you know, what are you trying to achieve with your landscape? What are you trying to achieve with your spaces? Like, let's say we want to do a patio. Well, what do you want to do on your patio? Are we gonna are we gonna eat on the patio? Are we cooking on the patio? Do we need a fire pit? Do we need a fireplace? And that kind of helps helps us scale it and lay it out. A lot of times people will just pour concrete and not necessarily think about the uses. Same thing with like, once we start doing your flower beds and your layouts, like what are you trying to achieve with that? Are we screening your neighbors? Are we just doing foundation plantings? Are we really doing pops of color? Are we, you know, there's a lot of questions that go into it. And so my recommendation to get started is, ask the questions of what are you trying to achieve with your outdoor space and should budget allow and you need to phase it. I recommend starting with hardscapes. It's much easier to get the hardscapes done first and then come in and do your softscapes, your plant materials and things like Mm -hmm. that. But just kind of think through the questions of if my hardscape is sufficient, how do I tie this in with the landscape? And with the house, do I want blooms? Do I want more evergreen? Are we trying to establish a water feature spot for some sound effects and sitting outside like that? So, okay. So, yes, I hopefully our listeners will see a lot of similarities to inside because a lot of times that's kind of the the advice we give people when they're starting a room. You know, what, right. what's your function? What are we what do doing? Need? Right. Yeah. What are we doing? Yeah. And that's the thing, like with the landscape, I think it's this overwhelming deal and it's really not you know look at it like an extension of your home space and look at it as an extension of getting from your car into your house and what that experience needs to be like and it's the same thing of creating interior experiences but we're doing it on the outside we're doing a lot of outdoor kitchens and patios and spaces like that right now and it's just a list of questions that I send clients and I'm like you know what are we, what are we doing? What do you see yourself? Like who's using this or the kids using it? It's funny. Gardens are fun and they're a good idea in April when it's cool and it's sunny and you know, there's precious little tomato plants at the garden center and you're like, I'm going to grow a garden. 
but there's a lot more gardens require some thought too like you know if you go to the beach for a week in july who's going to water it who's going to pick those tomatoes and where you put that in terms of like accessing it from your kitchen and from your spaces you know you really want that to be part of the layout you want to think through you want to think through that how am i going to get to that cherry tomato bush from my kitchen and is it going to be by the grill and is that part of all of that layout that you're working with instead of just popping a raised bed in the middle yeah of your backyard well, well what about flowers too because i i just will use myself as an example sure as we often do on the show because my questions for you are because i'm working on a project but um right i'm not a gardener i don't mm-hmm. even really love yard work but i do like cut flowers and i'm willing to do a little bit to a little bit of work in order to yield to achieve some goals like having mm-hmm. to being able to bring cut flowers into the house so how does one go about having sort of a hybrid in between just a pretty landscape but then also maybe a few small spots that perhaps require a little more maintenance so it's right. sort of it's not a garden but i would have like a little bit of so yeah it's a cutting yield, garden i guess yeah kind of yeah sort of a cutting garden you hit the nail on the head when you said small spots so and this can do vegetables and this can do flowers. What I do with clients on this is we create what I call perennial pockets within your landscape bed. So we go and we, we, we establish the structure with your larger shrubs that are going to be there year round. And we're making sure that those are things that are blooming each season and you've got seasonal interests throughout the year. And then we have little pockets. And for those of us that aren't, green thumbers I do this for a living and I can't I don't have time to do this you know it's that saying that the cobbler's kids have no shoes but I'll pick up bulbs from clients houses and I'm like where do I put them well I've got a little bed that's got a little pocket and I'll go pop iris bulbs and cone flowers and zinnias and little pockets like that that can come up zinnias are annuals but my iris and my cone flowers are perennials and I, I always recommend going perennials because you plant them and you walk away and you're like, oh my gosh, look over there. My hyacinth that I popped in is blooming. That you one know, January you go, I was yeah, motivated is really paying right. off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We had a lot of amaryllis that we sold at the store this year. And everybody's like, what do I do with it when it finishes blooming at Christmas? I was like, well, you go pop it in your yard. Like, and you can use it and it's there, you know, and if you feel so inclined to use annuals and for those listening, you know, your perennials are those that, come up every year and your annuals are those that come up once a year so I really recommend that your annuals go into your containers and then you have little perennial pockets in your flower beds that are established because guess what if you go build a separate bed for cut flowers and it's in the middle of your landscape and let's say it's right off your patio and there's that one year where April is crazy and you can't get anything planted same thing with a vegetable garden And then you're just looking at a blank space for an entire season. Whereas if it's in this little pocket mixed in your bed, if it pops up, great. If it doesn't, it doesn't take away from your overall landscape aesthetic like that. So that's my, my recommendation on that. Okay. You said something a minute ago that I thought was interesting about something that's blooming each season. So that is a great point. And I'm going to tell a little story because mm-hmm. I think it's funny. And she, this friend of mine that I'm going to tattle on, I don't believe listens to the show. So 
hopefully she won't hear my story. But um, I had this friend who bought a house in December. Mm-hmm. And in the front, that previous owner had planted all of these limelight hydrangeas that were like full and mature. But of course, when yep. this friend bought the house in December, they looked awful. And so she was telling me and my husband, but which full disclosure is a landscape architect. So oh, I fun? do have, <laughs> yeah. Um, but she was telling he and I, mm-hmm. I think I want to rip them all out. They look so bad. And right. I was like, well, they're going to look incredible in June. You please, please do not tear them out until you've lived a full year there and you really yes. see what things, but, but okay. So that sort of goes back to that point of something blooming each season. How do you plant things knowing that sometimes they're going to look bad. Sometimes they're going to look great. And how do you balance it to where all year round your yard looks nice? That's an excellent point. And that's something that I, I work really hard to and we joke with people like you can tell what time of year I design your yard based on what is blooming or what plants (laughs) that we use I have a list of plants that I use that I know for my area I know and I've got spring bloomers summer bloomers fall interest fall color and I make sure that we've got something from each of those and then when you're dealing with deciduous and evergreen plant material you don't just want big swaths of deciduous because guess what? In the wintertime, when those hydrangeas don't have leaves, then you're going to have a big naked spot in your front yard. Like and my so friend who you, wanted to tear out her hydrangeas. I know. And that's just, I mean, like, you're right. But what she could do so that it didn't look so just like barren in the winter would be, you know, maybe you've got evergreens behind it. And so when the sticks pop up, they just kind of disappear, but you've still got pretty evergreens kind of surrounding it and tucked in. Or maybe the evergreens are in the front and the hydrangeas pop up behind it, you know. But again, it's about balance. And I've had clients in the past that are like, I don't want all evergreen. I don't want anything deciduous. I want it all green. And I'm always like, okay, you don't hang something in every wall in your house. You have to have some breathing space, you know, and that's the same thing with your deciduous plant material is you've got to have some out there. You can't just have all evergreen. And so it's just a matter of, of balancing and kind of tucking it in, in the right way. So, you know, hydrangeas are a great example. This time of year, we've just seen forsythia and quince. The quince is on fire right now and those just pop up. And if they're tucked in the right way, they'll kind of disappear the rest of the year and then pop out and show what they need to be doing when they need to be doing it. I mean, I know, I, I understand someone who says, I just want all evergreens, but oh my gosh, the things that lose their leaves, I think are the prettiest one. I mean, can you imagine not having a, a, a hydrangea in your life? And I, I can't, leaf like I, I just, I can't. And that's the, that's what they're like, they'll just be sticks in the wintertime. Yeah. Like, but that's okay. Like, it's fine. It's like the whole cycle of like, you have to enjoy the seasonality. That's the beautiful part of the landscape exactly. is the, the dynamic seasons that you get it's what I love like watching spring come alive this time Mm -hmm. of year and it's just these things that are blooming and I'm like why would you not want to have like a little smidget of everything right right in your landscape so and when the when those things that you love do pop up and Mm -hmm. and start blooming oh my gosh it's like the most exciting thing I always feel like oh my gosh my babies I know I still get excited (laughs) about it I know like I I feel real sorry for anyone that gets behind me in traffic when the seasons change because One day I will get rear-ended and it won't be anybody else's fault but mine. (laughs) 
Okay, so let's talk, and you sort of you sort of touched on this a little bit, but I want to go back to kind of thinking about your landscaping plan in the context mm-hmm. of your house. I think we could all probably pick out like, oh, this landscape design is very modern. This one's very classic. How do you sort of complement your house style with your landscape style? Sure. Do they need to match? Do they not need to match? What's your philosophy on that? No, that's a great point. They need to complement each other and they need to be thought out. The landscape needs to be thought out as you're thinking out your your style. You know, I've got architects and home designers I work with that have different styles. And I'll know with some, we're going more traditional with brick and bluestone and, and concrete. And we've got some that are a little bit more modern and we have to push more of the straight edges and the simple plant material and there's a lot of variation with that. I think, you know, when choosing a landscape architect for your projects, we all have set styles and set dynamics that we use. And I am more of a classic, traditional, more natural designer than some of us that are, I think if you told me I had to keep a line straight for your flower bed, I would rock back and forth for a minute, but then we'd figure out how to do a modern landscape. But that's, that's not really my, my style. I'm more of the traditional Southern layout in terms of pools and patios and things like that. And then real kind of dynamic curved bed lines with multiple layers and that kind of aesthetic. But you do, you need to think through just the same as thinking through room layout and counter layout and all of that. You just, where your lines are and how it's all connecting. And there are different designers for that very purpose. Some more modern, some more classic, and kind of maybe choose your landscape designer or your landscape architect that way rather than saying, this is my house, design it. But if you're in a small town, we can be be real flexible too. Because I have a house that's very angular and it's like Mm -hmm. super boxy, almost too boxy. And so it makes me want to include more curvilinear lines Mm -hmm. to sort of balance the boxiness of it and more sort of an organic feel to the landscape because the house itself is very, you know, square yes. and boxy. I guess my question is how do you know when you have hit that right balance and when you've maybe gone overboard Too far. or not enough? Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's huge. And that's what I was working on a, a deck yesterday and we added, you know, we curved the edges on it because the pool is very naturally curved and the patios around it is curved, but coming off the house and the patio, it was angle, 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 you know, very sharp. And we needed to kind of pull in some of these natural curvatures with it and then add the curved lines and kind of and balance it out that way. And so again, it kind of goes back to that, ask your question, you know, what are you trying to achieve? If it's too harsh, then your answer to that question is we need to soften this. Same thing with popping pillows and duvets on is we need to soften the effects inside. We need to do the same on the outside. And that's when you're like, okay, is this space comfortable? And if it's too sharp and too angular, then it's not comfortable. And that's when we really need to kind of soften it with the bed lines and kind of soften those edges and introduce more like maybe grasses and things that have a softer texture of plant material to kind of help us with that. So it's really just kind of going with your gut. 
It is. It's a lot of gut and it's mm-hmm. a lot of personal preference. And the design part, I would say, is gut and instinct. And then the science comes in with, all right, we know that we need to adjust these sharp ang- angles on this corner of this house. We're going to do a curved patio and then we're going to tie this in with some curved beds, but we're not going to over curve it. So we balance it just right. So that's kind of more of gut and instinct. And then the science comes in with, all right, we know that it's going to get hot, hot, full sun. We know that we can't grow anything too tall. We know that we're in zone 8A or 8B. We know that we want to attract butterflies And that's when we start kind of picking out the plant palette. And we get down to that. There's four or five plants that we Mm -hmm. could use, you know, and that's so it's a we joke that the reason I'm a landscape architect, it's just my dad was a plant physiologist and my mom was an art teacher. So it is (laughs) like a diagram. It is straight. Right. It is straight genetics. And I can't tell you how I know exactly how to get that curve but it's the same as an artist working on a painting yeah. if they just know where that paint needs to land and how that brush needs to land and then you know the science comes in to kind of support your reasoning behind the plant material okay so for those of us who aren't experts on on picking the right plants for the right place what mm-hmm. are your thoughts on moving plants like so if we try a plant someplace and it's just not working, is it okay to dig it up and put Absolutely. it someplace else? Or how much yes. time should we give it? You can tell pretty quickly if a plant's going to be happy. And I recommend, and this is kind of counterintuitive because, again, April hits and we are excited to be outside and we want to be planting stuff and we're at the garden centers and everybody is just fired up. And I'm always like, all right, everybody, you know, hold your horses. Let's just, let's stop. Let's figure out, ask yourself the questions. Don't just get kind of excited, like a little flashy thing, you know, hanging in front of you to go grab something just because you like it and it's got a purple bloom. The best time to plant your landscape is in the fall. I mean, we we see probably a 95% success rate planting in the fall versus planting in the spring. And so, Why is that? I hear people say that, but why? So that's a great point. So plants in the spring are blooming they're putting on new growth they are coming alive from the winter time they've all been dormant so all of their energy is focused on waking up for the spring if you plant them in the spring they have to divide that interest and that focus into getting their roots established growing leaves and putting flowers on whereas if you plant them in the fall the plant only has to focus on getting its little root zone situated in the bed he kind of gets tucked in he gets situated you know he kind of meets the neighbors and then spring comes along and it's you know we're throwing parties and we're meeting everybody and that's kind of the best that's to really simplify it but yeah so transplanted planting plants if you've got a plant and it's living but you're like you know you need to go ahead and move it quickly but you really don't need to be moving or transplanting or transitioning plants from May to September. They really need to be where they're going to be before then. We do see a lot of, there is a tag on the plants. It's like when you go buy an article of clothing, you know what it's made out of, you know the size, you know where it's from. And the same thing, plants come with a set of instructions and you just need to read on there. It's got sunlight requirements. It's got water requirements. It's got 
how big the plant's going to get. It's got when it's going to bloom. It's got if the deer's going to eat on it. You know, and those things, those tags are there for a reason. And so you just need to say, if you go to a garden center and you see something bloom in the spring and you're like, absolutely, got to have it. Look at the tag and then figure out where you can put it in your yard based on that rather than just saying it'll be all right, sticking it in anywhere. You know, that's just not, it's always comes back to that right plant, right place. And you just kind of, you can sit outside and kind of watch how much sun certain areas are going to get. And you can see your low spots after rain that are going to be more wet. You can see, you know, it just takes a little bit of paying a little bit of attention to what's going on outside. Before you transplant something that maybe, and maybe you've given it like a year or something to grow. So it's not uh-huh. a baby plant. Sure. You know, it's has a little, or if, for example, you want to like take it with you, if you move, do uh-huh. you need to prune it before? And if so, like, does every plant need to be pruned before you dig it up or only some plants? What's, what's the, the deal there? Yes. And no, I think, I think the the general rule of thumb was that, yeah, you would need to cut it back. And again, kind of goes back into that what time of year you're going to do it. You know, if if you're doing it in the fall, you do want to get some, you want to take some out. If you are moving a large, mature tree or shrub, if you are doing it in the middle of the wintertime when it's cool and everybody's fine and their plants are dormant, I wouldn't put a lot of effort into like pruning it. If you were moving it and you know, you know, say you're moving it in March and you know it's about to flush with new growth, I would say cut it back by about a third. Again, depends on the vitality of the plant. If it's alive and thriving and good to go, you really don't need to prune it that much. You can. Now, if it's struggling and you're going to move it, then you do want to take some back so that it's, again, you're trying to conserve that plant's resources and energies and so if it's not as big and it has a bunch of wilted limbs on it get all that out move it and let it get situated so that it can focus on its new environment kind of like that what are your thoughts on raised beds and what's the best way to do a raised bed garden i love a raised bed i intend to do them in my backyard one day i have a spot for it raised beds again you have to kind of think through the whole process of building a raised bed. The The tricker is making sure that these beds have good drainage and good soil. Filling a raised bed seems to be the greatest challenge in a raised bed. Anybody can build them. You can, you can order great ones off of Amazon now, I noticed the other day. Really good looking stuff. But thinking through the soil prep that goes into a raised bed is very instrumental into the success of it and where they're going to go. And again, where you put that raised bed, think through what are you going to grow in it? Are you growing vegetables? You don't want it all the way in the far back of your yard where the hose won't reach, but they are they are a great tool for vegetables, for flowers, for things that you really kind of want to keep contained. Or if you've got a smaller yard, they're a great option for that. Okay, let me ask a question because I am not a big raised bed fan. Or I guess my thing is like, why would you build a raised bed instead of just sticking it in the ground? Good question. (laughs) You're making a funny face like, hmm. uh, Nobody's ever asked me that before. So we, I just designed some raised beds for a client this week. And so it's a spot over by her driveway that is rocky and... You can't just put stuff in the ground. 
So you have the space. It's not it's not hardscape underneath. It's just that weird space off the side of a driveway that's kind of rocky, kind of not great. She wanted cut flowers right outside of her kitchen, and this was the spot that we needed to do it. So we needed to do raised beds in that location because the ground conditions were not conducive to growing plants. In my backyard, where I intend to, to build eventually, it's in the middle of turf. You can't just stick a tomato plant in the middle of turf. Kind of, I kind of want to use the raised bed concept to define the area. And then, again, if the ground conditions are not conducive to growing it. Now, if you've got great beds and you've got great sun and you've got you know areas where we've talked about where you could do your perennial pockets, you don't need to do a raised bed. And you don't always have to. It's just that some people like them. The other benefit of raised beds, as we are all getting older is raising a bed you can have it higher and if you've got okay, yeah. elderly parents or I don't want to bend over and pick stuff I want it you know right where I can get it you can have a two or three foot raised bed and everything is right there at arm level and so you're not having to bend over and so it's an ease of access it's an ease of maintenance it's an ease of just kind of makes life easier sometimes again it just kind of depends on what you're going to plan in them and what your existing conditions are and your intent for your landscape. Okay. That makes total sense. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm always, I picture it like in the middle of a, your yard. And so it's yes. like, what, why right. are like, you why taking you extra, it... why would you build the structure to then fill it with dirt right. when you just already have dirt? But yes. that makes sense. And that is, <laughs> that is the prime example of going to a garden center and you're like, hmm, I think I need a raised bed. And you don't think about, how you're going to access it or where it's going to go or what, you know, that was my whole point of using this perennial pocket. Can you go to a raised bed, cut flower garden, and you put it smack dab in the middle of your backyard because you're convinced that's where the most sunlight is and that's where the hose gets. But like what happens when you don't plant it and you've just got a box and then uh-huh. you don't plant it the fill next year and the, you, you fill it with weeds. And then eventually if it's wood, the wood deteriorates, and then you've got just this big mound of dirt out there and they're not easy to construct. So why would you not have it mm-hmm. kind of tucked away maybe where you wouldn't see it? Like for instance, in my backyard, we've I've established a hedgerow and I'm going to have a whole little garden area back behind it. So the beds will be back behind there. So one year when I decide I don't have time to deal with it, it doesn't dominate the entire view of my backyard. And it's just, you know, again, kind of ease of access. It's just a lot of turf. And if I have a raised bed, then I'm not having to kill turf. And it's it's St. Augustine, so it's going to creep. And so it's going to help with maintenance to have it up off of the said plane, you know, mm-hmm. of your existing yard. Okay, we've been talking a lot about maintenance. So I want to address this, this more fully. Okay. Because as I have matured in my own yard and Uh learned more about my yard and and started planting and stuff i realized that there are all these like yard work tasks that i didn't necessarily think about it's not like the actual physically planting it or even cutting it's the the weeds the mulching it's pre-emergent fall leaves the weeds so can we talk a little bit about that and are there things first off what are those hidden items that you don't necessarily anticipate? And right. let, so let's start there. And then I have many follow-up questions. <laughs> well, and this, this is great. I have a lot of do-it-yourself clients that are like, you design it and I'll put it in the ground. And I'm always like, that's great. I'm, I'm sure you can do it. I'm sure you've got the equipment. I'm sure your shovels are sharp. Like, I'm not doubting it. 
maintenance starts at installation and even before you plant your plants getting your beds established to drain appropriately most weeds that you see in a flower bed are there because of water conditions and we see this of not properly prepped and conditioned flower beds before you put your shrub in i always encourage clients to just at least pay for the construction of your beds and that establishes a great environment in which your plants can grow and they can thrive and it's going to help your maintenance go down from there we've talked about landscapes being kind of dynamic and ever-changing and so once you get your beds constructed and the drainage is away from your house i mean y'all would be shocked at how many times i've seen flower beds up against a brick house blocking the weep holes and the foundation issues that we found from mature landscape beds that just are wreaking havoc not just on the yard but on your house structure as well because they weren't installed correctly and that's one of the benefits of having it done right the first time from there plant your plants one of the number one things that we see which in terms of like plants not thriving a lot of times plants get planted too deep which won't kill the plant it will just keep the plant from growing we were at a client's house a few weeks ago and they have yopons that have been planted for seven years and the yopon is probably 18 inches tall and it's probably planted three inches too deep so didn't kill the plant it's just not doing what it needs to do so liz we're gonna have to transplant it next week you know and lift it up and move it and all of that build your bed correctly plant your plant at the right height that's going to help with maintenance too because you're not going to have to be worried about transplanting and moving and dealing with dead plants and then you're going to come in and you're going to pre-emerge herbicide we use a granular kind of slow release deal that kind of releases over time preen is a great option you can pick up at your nursery centers and then mulch we do all mainly longleaf pine straw mulch i'm a huge proponent of pine straw pine straw kind of weaves together and creates basically a rug a mat that really kind of keeps your weeds down and the fluffier and the more pine straw you can get on there the better but keep it off of the neck of your plant because again you don't want your plants wearing sweater necks all summer you want it away from the plant but covering up all of your bed area like that it's best if you can budget spring and fall mulch application and that just deteriorates over time and you add to it i have clients that are like okay well i'm going to rake out my pine straw and you can come do fresh i'm like no 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 no. let it deteriorate into the soil because what it's doing is is it breaks down i'm not going to get super science botanic dorky on y'all but you know it, it amends the soil and all the little systems come in and you want that especially on new construction new dirt new beds is you really want that soil to start amending and your plants thrive and it's this whole little ecosystem that you've created in your front yard that helps plants grow and thrive for years to come and then the other thing is not planting plants too close together and so we talked about this where we design to scale but we plant much smaller and plants grow into their full scale if you overplant and you plant your plants too close together to really get that instant impact in three to four years you're going to have a ton of pruning. You're going to have a ton of removing issues that you're going to have to deal with. And so you really want to pay attention on that little tag. You really want to pay attention to, all right, the full height of this plant or full you know, spacing of this is five feet. 
it's going to look bare for the first few years and then it's going to fill in and it's going to do great and you're not going to have to be messing with it. So it seems a little overwhelming, but if, if it's the main thing is if you get that bed constructed properly and you get that mulch and you get those plants spaced, it will kind of take care of itself. Now, you will get your spare weed that pops up every now and then, but it's not like you're going to have to be out there every Saturday dealing mm-hmm. with it. How, okay, so you said pine straw in the spring and fall. Is that it? Because mm-hmm. I always feel, I have always preferred like a black mulch mm-hmm. because I feel like it looks nicer than pine straw. Mm-hmm. Once like pine straw gets rained on a little bit, it always looks so. Mm-hmm. Kind of mats down a little bit. But maybe I should just think about like, reapplying it more often or something you can and that's what it it really mulch really boils down to personal preference and the reason i'm pine straw is because i know it's much it's a greater weed barrier so it it you know your your bark mulch is kind of set up like this and that weed can just pop a little piece of pine bark mulch over and then pop up but Okay. And pine straw, when you when you get it, it's fluffy, and then it rains. It weaves together more like okay. this, and it keeps it's better weed control. Now, okay. aesthetically, it's not. And don't don't even get me started on landscape fabric. Don't nobody needs to even waste their time on trying to get landscape fabric down because that is the biggest waste of time. I'm sure someone will come after me that sells it, but <laughs> <laughs> it it doesn't work. We spend more time getting it out of landscapes than we do putting it down. I've watched it girdle huge azaleas that should have been huge, but got choked out through landscape fabric. But, you know, if you just can't stand the look of pine straw, you can put the hardwood bark mulch down, but it's just, you need to really make sure that you've got a good weed barrier in terms of a pre-emerge or in terms of a spray routine to kind of help with your weeds on that. Okay, I have a question. I have a question, though, about the fabric, because I'm planning a garden because we don't have a decorating dilemma. I'll just throw one in here. I'm planning I'm planning a cutting garden in my yard in a space where there is a mass amount of invasive kind of little little bamboo like it doesn't get too high, but it's just like little like clovery bamboo that goes all around. So if I'm going to plant in the ground and not use a raised bed, mm-hmm. what can I do to help protect my plants from these super invasive weed-like ground covering? Yeah, I know exactly I know I can I know exactly what you're talking about. What I would do would be dig out the area that you're going to plant and backfill it with a fresh soil so you're getting all of those little seeds and runners out of there. And then come in and do some steel edging around the outside of it because the way bamboo spreads is underground runners and rhizomes. And if you've if you've got an edge, it won't it won't run through, and that would protect your area more than the fabric on top of it because you want to block the the runners from getting to it. And so you would just cut it off. There's a product that we've been using, Edge Right. And it's a it's a heavier duty, and it's got a jagged edge on the bottom, and you can get it eight inches and really just hammer it down into the soil, and that should help prevent things like that from coming in. But 
if you've got a very weedy area, you know, there's dollar weed or nuts edge or something, dig all that out, do you some fresh dirt, do your planting, and then kind of create a barrier around the perimeter of where you're going to plant. I think that you have back to the pond straw converted me. So I'm, I'll, I'll, Oh, well, I just, I mean, I didn't, you know, we didn't mean to do that, but I just, yeah, just try no, you, how about Those you, are all how great. About you do it. How about you try it and see, and if it works, then if you get better weed control, but you know, it's no, just anything to get rid of the weeds. Um, okay. Yes. You sold me with what, weed control. Okay. Yes. That's <laughs> our better weed control. <laughs> all right. All right. I get it. How might you design differently if you know that you're going to have you're going to hire out your maintenance versus you're going to do your maintenance yourself. If you're, if you're going to do it again, that's great. I would definitely, I'm going to reiterate this point of having a paid professional come in and build your beds and do it. But, you know, I guess when it comes to like designing and designing it differently, there's not, I don't think the maintenance is really going to affect the design because you really want to stick to your same principles of, you know, quality bed construction, plants planted at the right height and at the right spaces, mulch applications throughout the year. I can't really see how design might be changed based on maintenance because it's all going to require kind of the same amount of maintenance because it's going to be growing and changing over time. But just right plant, right place, planted at the right time, at the right height, and you should be gravy on whoever, I mean, it doesn't matter who's doing the maintenance for you. Okay. That makes sense. One last question for you. Okay. I have (laughs) one thing I love about Lana is it is, has so much tree canopy Mm -hmm. and in my house, I've talked about this many times in the podcast. We have like gorgeous trees, lots of oaks, which I love, except during the fall when they lose all their leaves. And I've just sort of gotten to the point where it's like, okay, I just have to hire someone to blow because it's, it's just too much for one person. Mm -hmm. What is your thought on actually bagging all of the leaves versus like blowing them maybe to a certain area? I do have like an area of our yard that's on a slope and there's Mm -hmm. just a ton of English ivy, which I'm sure you love. I also hate it, but can I just blow the leaves into a part of my yard? Maybe that's not and contestant? Yeah. Does that do anything? Is that a bad? Well, that no, it's have not. It's effects, not bad. Um, it's actually good. It's it's actually bad that we remove all of our leaves each fall naturally. Oh, and this okay. goes back to again the subject of native plants. It's like you know, it's not just about planting certain native plant varieties. It's like a holistic approach to a more sustainable landscape. So it's on your maintenance, doing things that aren't going to require a ton of Roundup and pesticide use. It's making sure you're not having to overwater things. It's you know incorporating native species, but again the holistic look. And leaves are this. Leaves are a component of this. Leaves are designed to fall and to break down and to condition the soil the same way as we were just talking about mulch breaks down and compost compost into that. It can be detrimental if you push every leaf in your yard into your flower bed and it overtakes your plants because as important as mulch is that little neck of that plant you don't want a bunch of buildup around it because eventually it will it's going to turn to soil and it will suffocate your plant so if you have a slope or if you have a wooded area that's not landscape beds then absolutely blow your leaves back back there if you've got turf areas 
you're going to want to remove it. You can have some leaf material. I let all the leaves fall. We push some into the beds. We scoop some out. And then I pine straw on top of the leaves after they fall in December for my winter. And then I'm getting the breakdown of pine straw, oak leaves. And so it's a much better composting effect that happens. I have this one area of my yard that is like you see it out some windows, but you won't really, mm-hmm. you don't really see it from the street. I don't know how to describe it, but basically it would be an area that I think would make sense to, or just leave, not necessarily blow the other leaves from the rest of the yard onto it, but mm-hmm. just leave what falls. Sure. And I've never really thought about putting pine straw on top of it because it does end up looking messy, which I don't like. Right. Right. So perhaps if I put the pine straw on top of the leaves, December, it help. then it'll yep. look neater, but mm-hmm. Also, I imagine those leaves will help with the mulching you know, or the, the weed control. It'll be like that, that sort of blanket and another layer. Exactly. It's another layer of protection. And then you're getting little grubs and little things that are important to the organics of soil. And the birds eat the little grubs that live under the breaking down leaves. And then you're helping in that native ecosystem within your yard. And so, again, it's just about about balancing you don't want to just leave your leaves out there you can have manicured spots you can have your native spots where the leaves just kind of go and break down and all of this works together instead of like we just talked about instead of just throwing a few native plants out there and you're like all right i've done a sustainable landscape it's you got to look at it kind of holistically like that right right. but yeah it's not all or none it's a little bit of everything and like Uh you were just saying you can you can have it in some spots and you can have it not in some spots so is a mature landscape also good weed control? Yes. So as those plants grow, something in terms of like budgeting, the first few years, you're going to need more mulch. As those plants grow and fill in their space and kind of start to work together, those weeds aren't going to be have access to as much light, as much moisture, and you're not going to need as much Let's say we're using pine straw. You're not going to need as much pine straw because the plants have kind of filled in and taken over the area. So you do a new landscape and you're like, oh my God, I didn't know I was spending $1,200 a year in pine straw. I wouldn't have ever done this, but it's not going to be that way forever. You just, it's part of getting your system set up so that it grows. But yes, a mature landscape is not going to need as much maintenance. However, if it's a mature landscape and, you know, we... We watched, I've I've seen this happen on a lot. We're going back, a lot of our clients are young and they've bought old, mature landscapes. And, you know, 20 years ago, we were using boxwoods and yopines that require an insane amount of pruning and cutting. And every Saturday you had to be out there. And the idea of having a full-time yard man and yard services is just a thing of the past we don't have anymore. And so it's good to have a mature landscape. Mm-hmm. It's also good to make sure that it's not just wearing you out because it's old plants and old varieties that aren't conducive to modern lifestyles of not being able to be out there every Saturday. So we kind of come in and we select certain plants that are beneficial and doing what they're supposed to and not require a lot of maintenance. And then a lot of times we'll come in and we'll rip the rest of it out and do lower maintenance stuff and let it kind of fill back in and regenerate that way. So it's a kind of an either or situation or I guess a double-edged sword because it's good to have one but then if it's all the wrong plant material causing issues then 
right, you're right back to square one with maintenance. I am super excited to get out in my yard now. Oh, good. I am too. This is really. I hope I haven't been like. I hope I haven't been like. Oh, April's here. Everybody, just hold your horses. But like, you know, we watch this a lot of people getting so excited, and it's great. I love that people get excited about it. I can talk about this stuff all day, you know, mm-hmm. and I love it when people have questions, and it's fun. It's really. I'm very fortunate that what I love to do is also my job. But I just want to encourage everybody to, you know, really think through the process that is landscaping and not to be scared of it, you know, and you have to start somewhere and you'll kind of develop an aesthetic and you'll develop, you know, what you want to do and you'll Mm -hmm. develop how you want to plant and get out there and get dirty and figure it out. And that's the beauty of it. If it doesn't work, you can kind of start over. That's the fun part about it too, is it's, it's ever changing and evolving and you can be the same way. Yeah. Well, it's, I think it's a good reminder that we should like try to try to hold off on some of that excitement until the fall when really you'll yield a better result. (laughs) Right. But you know, a friend of mine was telling me this week, she was like, okay, we need to, we need to plant some stuff. And she was like, but my husband's just really motivated in the spring and he's not in the fall. And I was like, I know, but like, if you can just hold off and maybe do like, fun containers and things like that, which the other thing I find hysterical and I'm like, I have to get off my soapbox, but like, I don't know when this is going to air, but don't ever do a container before Easter. Don't ever plant an annual before Easter, because the one thing that always happens in the South is we get one more Easter freeze. And Mm. so gardens, container plants, you know, you can sow seeds this time of year, but no gardens, no containers, I think, until Good Friday or the week after Easter, because we will get one more Easter snap and it'll wipe everything out. So that's what everybody's like, can you come do my container? And I'm like, not until after Easter. So, But you want it to look good for Easter. Get it. You do. Wait, come it's on. A- like, I'm having people over. I need my yard to look nice right. at Easter. Right. I need it to look good. Right. Well, you just get a get a potted fern and pop it in that container, and then you can put it inside, and then you can use it somewhere else after Easter. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, that's that, that works. Okay, well, thank you. I feel like we honestly could probably fill a whole nother episode with questions, so maybe we'll have to have you back, and we can sure. I would love talk that. some more because we didn't even get in. I mean, there were several things we didn't really even get into, but we'll save those for another time because we we've, we've sure, already talked for great. an hour, so. Thank you so much for joining us. And can you tell everyone where they can find you and follow you, see your work, all that good stuff? Yeah. So my website is brantleysnipes.com and Instagram is brantleysnipes landscape design. And then I've also opened a garden and patio shop in Greenwood that houses my office. And that is at Osmanthus Market. And so that is great garden and patio and homewares that you can kind of tack on to your landscape design spaces. And then I think Facebook is Brantley Snipes Landscape Design as well. So that is where I can be found. Awesome. Thank you so much. And that's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, be sure to follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, happy Happy decorating. decorating!